Welcome to Auto Off Topic. What's up, Brad? Hello, Andrew. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. No, uh, no random cat attacks this week. No, no. I've remained out of hospital from animal attacks in the yard. Just, uh, just the typical, you know, my own dog stepping on my feet once in a while. Injuries. Nothing. Uh, nothing breathtaking to tell stories about. Yeah, I haven't seen that cat around either. Maybe I scared scared to death. I guess so. That's that's, that's sad, but you know. The sad truth of life. My other like. theory was, uh, you know, you're in the southwest there, Chupacabra. That's true. Mm-hmm. We're pretty north of like the Rio Grande, where most of the Chupacabra sightings are. Hey, it's pretty, they can pretty, travel. It's pretty far away. There's not there's not a lot of wild animals in in Phoenix proper. I'm sure out in the desert there's probably some, but out in the in the city here where. Uh, it's weird because growing up there, it's squirrels and fox and coyotes and rabbits and raccoons and possums. And there's just so many like and deer. There's just so many animals that are out in the woods and in the cities because the you know woods and the cities are kind of intertwined so much in the Northeast. It's weird to just not see wild animals here. Yeah. Like I haven't seen... I I haven't seen a squirrel in a long time. I haven't seen anything. It was Unless we go outside the city. I mean, I, again, you know, I spoke last week of that, you know, a quick road trip to Oklahoma and back, and I saw some deer on the road in Oklahoma. But out here in, in downtown Phoenix, man, there's was nothing. Mm-hmm. I say downtown, not downtown, but you know what I mean, in the city itself. Within the city so. limits. Well, yeah, because there's there's so much free space around the city that you know the animals have places to live where they're not. They don't need to go into the city. Yeah, exactly. They have space out in their own area. They don't bother the us. Animals. We don't bother them. So, therefore, leading credence to the fact that this was probably just a big fat house cat. Yeah. But I haven't seen him, so I must have scared him. Hopefully, he's okay. I like cats. All right, so. We talked about diesel trucks on the last episode. We did. And uh, how terrible so, modifying them is for the environment. Yeah. To roll but You'd mentioned you weren't sure if um, half tons uh, had diesels. Oh, uh, is, is this the Department of Pandantic, Pandantic Corrections? Yes. So from our pal, James McIntosh, uh, he says, Chevy, Ford, and Dodge all offer half ton diesels. Ford has the three-liter V6 Power Stroke. Dodge is a VM Motori 3i V6, which must be Italian from FCA. Sounds terrible. I'm sure we're going to get another pedantic correction for that, but <laughs> it, it sounds Italian, Motori. I've never heard of it. And, uh, you know, assuming the FCA connection, that's probably where it's come from. It's probably a Fiat diesel. Uh, Chevy is a three-liter inline-six, weirdly enough, he says. Uh, and Nissan no longer sells the diesel half ton. It was really, and it uh, wasn't really a half ton. It was over 8,500 gross vehicle weight. So more like in between a half and a three quarter. Yeah, I knew it was some weird kind of like Chevy used to like yeah. the, you know, the the big heavy tons or half heavy halves or. Yeah, 
it was um, v, v, sort of a truck that they thought they would bridge probably that gap. And yeah. It just never took off. Didn't happen. Um, um, so VM Matori SPA. So it's Italian. Italian diesel engine okay. manufacturing company. Wholly owned by Fiat Chrysler Automobiles. Boom. Nailed it. Yep. It had uh, that weird 5-liter Cummins V8. This is the Titan. Yep. Uh, he says he drove one pretty slow. Good torque, though. But it was an option on the Titan XD, which had a heavier-duty frame and brakes uh, than the regular Titan, which early Titans, the brakes were a real letdown on that truck, I guess. And rear ends. They'd go through rear ends and brakes. Okay. Nissan Titans and rear ends are a long history of issues. Actually, even back to the first gen, they had issues with their differentials. That's what I'm saying. The first gens had really bad brakes and really bad rear ends. Um, Otherwise, it was a pretty cool truck for the time. They're they're decent trucks. I would would buy a a decently inexpensive used one that has had axles repaired already. You'd probably do better out where you are because I, I I don't think first gens really lasted here in the Northeast. They weren't well corrosion protected as are most pickup trucks for whatever reason. So I don't I don't really see them that much anymore. And you hardly ever I hardly ever see second gens. So um, so James says anyway, Department of Pedantic Corrections Department, which actually he is the inventor of that term. I think. Yes. Yeah. So thanks, James. So he's um, really the, I would say he's the, he's the director of the department of pedantic, pedantic corrections department. Yeah. Yes. He's, he's our editor, direct all complaints to James. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't collect a paycheck though. So give him time to respond. Um, however, with this, uh, I'm learning about this VM Motori co- uh, company as we sit here on the podcast. Um, this has an interesting history since 1989. They've been around since the forties. But do you know who bought them in 89? Hmm. Detroit Diesel? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'll, I I got my dates wrong. 95. But yeah, Detroit Diesel owned them. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And, then, and they were sold in 2003 to Daimler Chrysler for a, a certain percentage of it. No, sorry. Detroit Diesel owned Via Motori in 95. In 2000, Detroit Diesel was purchased by Daimler Chrysler. But then in 2003, Penske purchased 51% of VM Matori from Chrysler. Weird. And bought the remaining 49% of Detroit Diesel from Chrysler and subsequently sold 50% of it to General Motors. And then in 2008, Gaz purchased 50% of or attempted to purchase 50% from Penske Corp but it canceled and then in 2011 Fiat bought it and now it's <laughs> and then yeah Fiat bought 50% of it in 2011 and the remaining 50% from General Motors in 2013 so it's had quite a history over the past decades. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's been owned by every major manufacturer except for Ford. <laughs> so every major American manufacturer, I should say. And Chrysler's owned it twice. So interesting. Uh, I've, I've never I, heard of it, but it's apparently a pretty big company. Yeah. So we also talked about the Mirage that went to four hundred and fourteen thousand miles. Was it? Yes. Yep. Uh, and a listener from Germany, Max. 
Uh, he wrote us in. Pretty cool. He listens all the way in Germany. He's a big Mitsubishi fan in Europe and Germany. And he was surprised to find out that in Europe, they have a very good reputation for reliability. But he was trying to understand why in the United States and even in Australia, for some reason on the internet, they have a poor reputation for reliability. And uh, we just had a long conversation about it. And I said, I don't really know why, but it's just, it's just the way they, uh, I think we've talked about it before how Honda and Toyota kind of showed up 20 years earlier than Mitsubishi. Yep. So they kind of established themselves and then Mitsubishi just never, and still does a poor job. We feel of marketing themselves yep. as reliable cars. And that's kind of dogged them the whole 30, 40 years they've been in the, in the, uh, U S I'll, I'll go into my, in my quick, my quick spiel about my problems with Mitsubishi in the U S. Um, they don't have an identity. No. And that's what, that's, that's the biggest part of it. You know, they made some pretty neat cars, um, but then they didn't market them to Americans. No. And then they became a, uh, it was a struggle for them to sell cars because of the marketing. And subsequently they wound up being kind of a, a value brand as far as their customer. So they weren't a value brand as far as price, but they're a value brand as far as customer. So while right. you had Hyundai and Kia were a value brand by price, you had Mitsubishi who was an average company but was a value value brand by um, financing. So right. if you had bad credit, you could buy a Mitsubishi. And that ultimately, I think, in the late 90s through early 2000s is what killed them. Oh, yeah, the bubble. Yep. Yeah, they really they sold a bunch of cars to people who didn't have any right spending that money on cars yeah. and couldn't and afford it. For a whole year, and then when they went to make the payments, they're like, oh, screw this. So, yeah, they a lot of their cars were repoed. And then a lot of their cars were sold on secondhand dealer lots and they didn't get the 10 year, hundred thousand mile warranty of the second owner. And they just were not maintained and they quickly have fallen into uh, disrepair. Um, they've never been the uh, set it and forget it of like a Toyota Corolla, but they've yeah. been more, you know, they're, they're less maintenance than a BMW, Volvo, Saab, you know, European car. Um, they're just, they got a bad reputation due to the owners that bought them and the way they marketed themselves. If, if they had the same marketing that some of the other brands said, I think they would have done a lot better. And they just, they never had an identity here. You know, us eighties and nineties performance car people, which yeah. is a very small subset to keep a company going. We love them and we always will. And we've managed to keep them running for many, many years. You know, we tell the story of the 414,000 mile Mirage you know, we have our own story of our 250,000 mile Mirage that was still on the original engine and transmission and uh, was only killed by a uninsured stop sign ignoring driver. So mm. we, we, we by now could have a 414,000 mile Mirage ourselves. You know, it's just, yeah, it was never that car. How many times did that car ever come home on a tow, on a tow truck that wasn't our own fault? Not many times. I can't think of any. No, no, just you know, we we, no. we snapped an axle rally crossing it, but it never, it never let us down commuting. I commuted in that car sixty miles each way for a year, mm-hmm. and it never let me down. So, I, I think that the, re- the reputation is not earned. It's uh, not fair, I should say. It's earned by, I don't know. It's earned by bad owners. I, yep. 
that's all there is to it. And I know Australia has some of the same issues with it. Um, I know that the Diamante here is called the Magna there. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of has the reputation of the Altima here where it's owned by scumbags. They're always crashed. They're always causing accidents. They're always being, you know, pulled over and searched for drugs. That's most people that owned Diamantes here until they killed them. Yeah. That's a, it's a bigger thing there because they're built in Australia. So yeah. More of them. There. That was the other problem. So I'm sure the parts were half the price because they were built in Australia. Cause when they yeah. broke down here, the parts were, came from Australia and they were like, uh, like a million dollars are so expensive to fix just simply by parts prices. I know that body like panel even, wise, so they were super expensive. Like even, you know, we, we do talk about that. Like no car has cheap parts, like from OEM parts. Like that's just nope. a myth, yep. but some of the parts for like Diamantes were like excessively expensive. Like a bumper cover would be like six hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, like, I was, I was going to say like a bumper cover is a six hundred dollar plus part when like the equivalent uh, Toyota Avalon, I guess, would be the Toyota equivalent. The bumper cover is probably you know one hundred and eighty, you know, or two hundred and fifty. Yeah, yeah crazy. It was, it was just a it was a huge markup on that stuff, and a lot of it obviously has to do with shipping from Australia and not being built in Japan or here, and just being kind of not a normal place for an American to get a car from, but. Yeah, again, they were good cars. They just required more maintenance than their contemporaries, and they didn't get that maintenance because their owners didn't have the money to do the maintenance. So, so, uh, all right. Anyway, yeah. Um, enough about that. We also talked about um, auction cars and auctions and the prices of cars. Yes. And we got some feedback on that from uh, Judge Mills, Judge underscore Mills on Instagram. And he kind of asked us about. Uh, on the, on the lines of Mitsubishi, uh, and FTO, what we think of those, which if you don't know what those are, they were a, I think they started in the mid nineties. I don't know when the 90s. first generation was, but I think they move along with the second gen Eclipse. Yeah. So they're a front wheel drive Mitsubishi, pretty cool looking V6 FTO. So I think they were supposed to be a lower level of the GTO, which is a 3000 GT. Um, but and there actually is, you sent me a picture. There's one in Beverly locally. I haven't seen it yet because they have just now become import legal. 90, 94 to 2000. Yeah. So we don't, however, we don't really think in our, you and I, our opinion, we share a very similar opinion on these. They, they're neat, a very neat car. And basically probably what the second gen Eclipse or the third gen Eclipse, I'm sorry, should have been. Oh, for sure. Because they, they share the same V6, but the chassis are totally different. And I guess the F, from what I've heard, they F2 actually have like a much better chassis. They actually don't share the same V6. They don't? They do not. The oh. V the V6 in the FTO is a two liter. Pedantic corrections. Yeah, it's a, it's a two liter V6. Oh, it's a, oh, it's a two liter V6, really? Yeah. A little tiny so screamer. A, a little tiny so like screamer. A, so what is it, like a uh, Mazda, was it MX6? MX3. MX3? MX3 What's was the a little coupe? hatchback. No, no. So the, M- the, the MX, the the MX6 one? was the Ford Probe. Yeah. Which that, had a small V6, did it not? That had a more normal V6. The MX3 was the little egg-shaped car that had like the 2-liter V6 in it. Or 1.8-liter V6, excuse me. All right. Me. I see these as competitors then. Yeah, I can see the, the shape similarities. Like they were... Yeah, for sure. Well, where, where the Eclipse was kind of Galant-sized, this was kind of like a Galant Coupe almost. This here would have been like a, a Lancer coupe. So yeah. Huh. 
it was definitely smaller. No, they're neat cars, but we don't think that they have, it doesn't seem like they have the following, maybe in Japan they do, but they don't have the following here. Again, it's, it's, it's like an Evo. Yeah, an, an Evo is a, is a special halo car for Mitsubishi. Um, nothing else Mitsubishi will ever have the following to be worth, you know, a, a, a huge amount of cash. You're never going to like have a windfall of cash by buying one and flipping it later on. No. Um, the FTO was, so the first FTO was like 71 or 72. Um, and it was a smaller GTO hmm. then as well. So it was a little cool. two-door hatchback rear-wheel drive. I'll have to look them up again after we're done because I only remember them from Gran Turismo. That was how I discovered them. Yep. That's how most people in America know what they are. You know, that's the only reason that they're, you know, 10 grand <laughs> instead of almost free. So, but I think they're, they're a decent, I'm not going to say don't buy one, but just don't buy one for a profit. Buy one for a fun collector car. It'd be neat to have. You're not going to lose money out of one, I don't think. No, I don't think so. So, um, so judge underscore Mills also says, uh, some cars are staying about the same. Uh, price even on BAT because I own both of these. I pay attention. Uh, non turboed NA Miata and NB Miatas go for normal prices on BAT, as do fifth gen El Caminos. So, like you said, if you're not looking for a cool car, quote, uh, there's a fair market out there. Miata should tick a lot of boxes for people looking for entry into the cars and coffee slash Radwood scene. And by cool car, he means, the, like I said last time, the, the car that you're supposed to buy. Yeah. So the car that the internet says, you need this car. It's kind of the the brown diesel manual wagon. You know, that's what Jalopnik told you to buy. So brown diesel manual Mercedes wagons went through the roof. So it's the same kind of thing. Like the internet's not telling you to buy an El Camino. Neither is Andrew. But they're neat. They're Definitely neat. Not. They're a neat car. And uh, you can buy one for a decent, you know, inexpensive price. They're not through the roof. I was having this conversation yesterday going back to that whole thing. And, you know, we've touched on it in the past about, What's going to happen to some of these, uh, I, I hate to say the word, but, you know, boomer age cars, you know, what's going to happen to the cars that aren't 57 Chevys, you know, because I saw yesterday in traffic, I was, I went down to the local taco shop with, uh, Naomi and we saw this like 66, um, Ford Falcons two-door station wagon. Yeah. Which is neat. It's a neat car, yeah. uh, but it was bright red on torque thrusts, and it had okay. the it was a panel panel delivery style with no side windows, yeah. and the panel delivery style was painted with, you know, American flags and tanks and flames and eagles and our current president like all just like painted into it, and yeah, paint, but that car itself. When that owner, who was clearly in his, you know, I, I would guess mid to late 70s by looking at him, um, when that owner passes on, what's going to happen to cars like that? You know, he's probably got 15, 20 grand wrapped up in that car. And it's know. probably going to be a four or $5,000 car in less than 10 years. Yeah. I don't know what the, yeah, I don't know what the appeal is going to be for, for our generation for those cars. So, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's gonna it be. It'll be interesting to see. And as much as I hate to say that they're gonna be worthless, because that means they're gonna be, you know, run to the ground and jumped or left in people's backyards. Um, they're not gonna be worth a ton, I don't think. It's gonna be neat for people like us who kind of want to experience them and 
Is it going to be know. like a, a brass era car? Yeah. Or a, um, uh, I shouldn't say brass era. I should say like a cars from the 20s now. Yeah, I mean, like, anything pre-war. Yeah. It's going to be kind of a, is already kind of falling in value except for the top echelon stuff. You know, the, the Rolls-Royce Silver Ghost is never going to be languishing in somebody's backyard, but the Dodge, Dodge Brothers 31 Coupe will. Yeah, so. like a, so like that Ford you're talking about, I mean, even me appreciating muscle cars, that has no appeal to me. I don't, I'm like right. whatever on it. If I wanted a muscle car, I'm going to look for a Nova SS, a Chevelle. Like I want, but that's what we talked about last week. You don't need to have that to experience the muscle car because, you know, those, those Falcons are what Mustangs are based on and Mustang parts work in them and you can bolt anything from a first gen Mustang onto a Falcon and you'd have a neat little car. You'd have to tone down the, you know, American flag rhetoric on the side. Not that we're not patriotic, but it's a little bit much on the side of your car. (laughs) Um, You have to tone that down a little bit, maybe paint it color, not red. And, uh, and I think you could get a lot of enjoyment out of something like that for, Again, this is what I talk about. It's not the car you're told to buy, but it's a car you can have fun with. It's not the Nova SS. It's not the Chevelle SS. It's it's the Falcon Wagon. And I could see it being a neat car toned down to a daily driver status, not your ticket on Sunday's showpiece. So, yeah. But anyway, it's just a, a random thought based on that whole conversation. It's just we, we talk about it all the time. Everything is cyclical and things go in cycles and... There's going to be a span, I think, in the not too distant, not too distant future where cars from the 50s and 60s that aren't the Nova SS and the Camaro SS and the Mustang GT350 are going to be fairly cheap again. And uh, people like us might wind up buying one or two and using them and flipping through them and, and going from there. I know I will. So mm-hmm. as my 80s and 90s cars get unattainable, I'll move to older stuff. So speaking of 80s and 90s cars uh, that we also touched on in the last couple episodes, uh, I've been watching, like I've talked about, uh, Wheeler Dealers during the day. Yes. While I'm, while I'm babysitting. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's called babysitting when it's your kid. I think it's called fathering. Uh, yeah, I guess. Sure. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. I hang out with them. I watch them. I'm watching a baby. Yeah, but it's your baby. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's called fathering okay. at that point, Andrew. I think that makes you a father. Okay. Fair enough. So we'll, we'll go with that. I'll take it. All right. Uh, You've earned so the title, Andrew. <laughs> Might as well use I've been, it. I've been going back to... So it's season 14 was the first season with Ant, the new mechanic. Okay. Uh, so season 14, episode 5. I was flipping through on demand. And it's uh, Mitsubishi 3000 GT VR4. And I was like, cool. I'll watch that. Um, it was pretty cool. I think they did the car justice. They restored it back to stock. I actually, on your recommendation of seeing it last night, I watched it today at lunch. I um, really appreciate that. The thing about Wheeler Dose, they don't, unlike a lot of car TV shows that really annoys me, is that they will trash talk a car for right. whatever reason. That somehow somebody tells them that that is what people want to watch. And the thing about Wheeler Dose, this is with any car on Wheeler Dealers. They talk about what makes it special. They go through some of the common issues that they have and then they fix them or they upgrade them and they don't like really make fun of the car that much unless it's like a weird mod or something that they're undoing, which is fine, whatever. But 
I don't know. I kind of like the honesty and how they treat cars. So yeah, no, you you can tell that the mechanic is a true car enthusiast because he gets, you can see genuine excitement when he talks about things on the car. Um, you know, obviously it's a TV show, so it's got some Hollywood stuff in the deal in the beginning and the end, but the, the meat and potatoes of the show in the middle is, is really authentic. Um, you know, you and I have had countless Mitsubishis, so it's neat to see one being worked on on television. Um, and seeing the same issues that we've dealt with in the past, you know, they talked about how the early hydraulic lifters had, you know, a one millimeter oil, oil pass through Mm -hmm. and, you know, over time would clog and the second design came out. So it wouldn't make the tap, 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 tap of every old Mitsubishi with the three Mm -hmm. millimeter, you know, oil pass through hole. And they upgraded those and they took out the uh, dump to atmosphere dump valve, which doesn't work very well on a car that wasn't designed to have that kind of a dump valve, which is all of them. Um, and they put, you know, they put all factory parts back in the car. It was really neat to see them. And they fixed the active arrow and the active exhaust. Which was really neat to see because those are the things that when that car came out, you know, it was a super high-tech car. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gets a bad rap, I think, a lot because everybody says, oh, it's too high-tech. It's got, it's got, when one thing breaks, you got to throw it away. Um, and they showed how to fix the common issues on the cars. You know, the rear wheel steering, the active spoiler in the back that goes up and down. Um, the active exhaust that has the sport mode and touring mode. And, you know, by today's technology standards, it was pretty simple stuff. It was nothing that you or I, or almost, I bet any one of our listeners could tackle in their yard. Mm-hmm. There was nothing on that car that was scary. You know, I think the scariest thing on that car is, you know, changing turbos or a timing belt in that tight engine bay. <laughs> Other than mm-hmm. that, everything is pretty, pretty straightforward. And it was a, a simple actuator that opened and closed the exhaust and it was just stuck. You know, it was a simple actuators that actually, you know what those switches reminded me of that open that put the spoiler up and down. Yeah. Was the uh, full throttle switch on an eighties Volkswagen with the uh, rotary injection. It's probably the same switch. I was looking at it going, I think that's probably the same switch. It's just a switch that tells it like, it's just a binary switch and on off switch. Yep. So it was a uh, it was a neat a neat episode to watch. Um, I do like how they took the period correct '90s wheels off of it and put OEM wheels back on it, which I probably do, I hurt like probably hurt wheels. performance because I know for a fact those OEM wheels weigh a ton. Yeah. Um, but they looked the right part on the car, and you know, the car was stock otherwise, and it was neat that they were able to bring that car back to stock and. You know, I, I didn't realize it was an old episode when he sent it to me last night. I thought it was a new one because I had never seen it. And yeah. then in looking back into the seasons of Wheeler Dealers, I realized that I haven't watched much Wheeler Dealers in the past four years because mm-hmm. there are so many episodes I haven't seen. I didn't realize yeah. I hadn't gotten that far back. Um, but yeah, it was like they took the leather seats to a shop where they restored them. Restored leather seats. Yeah, I want to find a place that can show me how to do I, that or do that. Yeah, so that's the thing that kind of bums me out sometimes about being out here because I feel like those maybe those shops exist in New England, but they're very hard to find. Yeah, and it, and it seems like in California because there's so many more cars and cars last longer out there. There's more people and more smaller companies that are able to restore things like that because. There's definitely like, it'd be nice to have my Gallant seats restored. Like the leather needs some work on them. And I, you know, I don't want to throw them away or put different seats in there because I like the seats that it came with. So it'd be nice to find a place that could 
I think and restore them a bit for me. I think a lot of that, Andrew, is the fact that cars last a lot longer out here, but at the same yeah. time, certain elements of them don't. We have a lot like more interior. paint shops and a lot more interior shops yeah. um, because those are the things that the sun kills on cars on this in the southwest. So I think the fact that we live here in a very sunny, very UV heavy area is why we have more of those shops. Um, but yeah, I uh, I've actually been future news here in talks with somebody about redoing seats in my blue Colt. Yeah. Um, and it's incredibly inexpensive just to have somebody that could effectively clean scrub re dye the black leather seats. One of them needs a little stitching done to it would just be like, would make the interior just look that much nicer. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know that my blue Colt, the interior is, Tattered. So it's, it came it's, from California. It's tattered. Yeah, it's old vinyl. Um, but we'll just say that I, the cost of having the entire interior reupholstered um, is significantly less than I've been quoted in New England by more than two thirds. Better watch out. They're gonna, they might fill it with uh, horse manure. Yes. That sweet duck and roll. What was that movie? I don't remember. I always forget the name of it. Before. Yeah. They're trying to get Spanish fly in Mexico and also tuck and roll seats in like a car. A 57 Chevy, I think, actually. Yeah. But anyway, no, no, this is a reputable shop and I've seen some of his work and the, the price is just like, oh, that's not out of the realm of what I could do. So I, the only reason I haven't done it yet is because I'm trying to decide whether I want to reupholster the stock front seats or if I want to have him reupholster the back seat and a set of aftermarket front seats. So, yeah, see, I think you should have a little sportier bucket, but have that's it done to match. That's where the, the thought process is. So I, uh, I may have him just do the back seat, And, uh, when I get a sportier bucket, have it either. I don't know. We'll talk about the future. It's, I have some thoughts and some ideas, but mm-hmm. that, that car is, has got some, so it's a pretty, some pretty big updates coming down down the pike on that car, and uh, I'm pretty excited. So, anyway, uh, yes. Yeah, so, wheel dealers, good show. As we said before, we'll say it again. They did a Mitsubishi. It was neat to watch. Um, be nice to see them do like a first gen Eclipse Talon, but yeah, maybe, maybe eventually. But it was neat to see them do a Mitsubishi at all, uh, and they and they did it justice. And I. I don't know if it's a popular or unpopular opinion, but I love that yellow color. I like it too. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Though. It's almost the same yellow that they used for the uh, stealth pace car. Hmm. Or the official pace car or the official car of Indy 500 in like 1990 or 91. That first gen mm-hmm. stealth RT, which I always like that, that like almost like it has a pearl yellow, I guess. I don't know. It's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty. Well, the thing that surprised me on the two, two, two moments stand out to me in watching that show. Um, yeah. When they do the close up of him opening the driver's door, yeah. the bottom of the handle pops out a little bit from the side of the car, like a millimeter or two. Yeah. Which is the same issue with every Eclipse Talon laser that had the handle changed. Nobody ever puts that bolt back on the inside of the door. Uh, and that's, I was like, oh, I know it caused that. <laughs> I, could, I could see it when the handle opened. Yeah. Um, I, the only thing I like more, it was a 94 with the fixed headlights. I I like the pop-up cars a little better. but I do prefer the earlier car. 
Um, yeah. no, no question. However, I do like that 95 body style better than the 99. Yeah. It got a little weird looking in the last couple of years. It did. Um, I prefer the earlier style. Actually, I think it's Auto World Diecast. Um, well, brand you can buy here in the States for like five bucks, but they're super high detail. Just released a Dodge, uh, first gen Dodge Stealth in Hot Wheels car size. Like super high detail car. Hmm. So check for that at your local Walmart stores. Um, the other thing that stood out for me in that episode was they talked about the fact that the car was 40 some odd thousand dollars in 1995. Yep. And uh, the, the, the equivalent in 2020 dollars was like 75 grand. Yeah. And you don't, Crazy. Think, you don't think about how expensive those cars were when they were new. And they're very expensive. You didn't see them very often because of that. You know, our VR4, you saw a lot of SLs. That's why there are more SLs. Yeah. Yeah, because they looked the part, but didn't have the power to back it up. So nope. I, I, I didn't realize that A, they were 40 grand, and B, that 40 grand was 70 grand in 2020 dollars. I didn't, mm-hmm. didn't make that connection, but that kind of goes back to what we said last week, too, where everything is double. <laughs> yep. So either way, it's a cool episode. It's a cool car. Uh, I recommend it. And uh, it sounds better than I remember, too. Yes. I think Mitsubishi has a good sound of V6. It does. It sounds really good. And I think a lot of what we're used to hearing. Better than V2. Yeah. A lot of what we're used to hearing, though, is the non-turbo with straight pipe that the kid in high school had. You know, which sounded terrible. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's ruined our opinion of it. But no, the car sounds like a proper. I kind of want one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my absolute favorite is the, the Puma race car. Mm-hmm. Just. It's like slammed. It's got super wide. The weds, um, so good looking, and that and the green with the white livery. There is so a good. diecast car in the mail on the way to your house in that livery. So mm-hmm. doesn't have the weds or isn't super slammed, but has the paint scheme. So it'll go on the shelf. Cool but, enough. Speaking of video news, TV shows. Today, yeah. today's a big day. Gymkhana, I think it's 11? 11, yeah. Or they're calling it Gymkhana 2020 or something. Well, they say, it says Gymkhana 2020, uh, we turned it up to 11. Uh, so so it's back to, well, it's not back to, they, they handed it over to Pastrana, but yep. it's now back to a Subaru. Mm-hmm. And this car debuted over the summer. It's like the craziest STI ever built. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Um, Speaking of active aero, it's got an air brake. Yeah, well, yeah, it uses, yeah, he was using that as an air brake, and also when you watch the build breakdown on the Hoonigan channel. It makes it fly level. Yeah, he can adjust the attitude of the nose while jumping it. Yeah. Which is insane. Which is important if you watch this video, because this thing jumps for an inordinate distance. That legit, I was like jaw dropping that was yeah. i have never even all the rally stuff i've seen i haven't seen a car jump that i'm not even talking about the first jump no it's not the first jump in the video the first the first jump of the video is impressive it's done before it's like whatever yeah it, it is impressive don't get me wrong yeah but he they find i think the straightest road in maryland um yeah and they show the speedometer before the jump and it's just touched like 150 miles an hour yeah which is fast like yeah on a two-lane street with you know just trees like a public road Mm -hmm. 
And then the road dips downhill. Yeah, the road dips downhill. And right where the road dips downhill, they put like a metal kicker ramp. Yeah, a little kicker, yeah. So this thing flies. I mean, do you think it's a quarter mile? I don't know what. I don't know if they. An eighth mile at least. It was crazy. It's absolutely insane. I I, I just, I, 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 I lost my breath watching it on television. Like, yeah. I, I was, and I think that the the coolest thing about this episode, and you brought this up to me earlier, Andrew, when we were chatting about it, is they keep going back to Pastrana's face. He's wearing like an open face helmet. Like, is how expressive he is during this. You know, you're used to seeing the 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 Ken Block one where you'll you'll see his face every now and again, and he'll you know smile for the camera. But like, I think Pastrana is a more relaxed driver. So yeah. he's able to like ham it up a little bit, maybe more, or maybe it's all just natural reaction, but it's just, it, it, it's, it, it goes back to the fun of Jim Connor earlier episodes, like Jim Connor, like eight, nine, 10 got a little over the top. And I think this kind of goes back to the fun, just absolute destruction of tire hooning of the car that the earlier, earlier ones were. So I, I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, Listen, we're not young anymore. We're not the target audience target audience anymore, but it's still fun to watch. I mean, yeah, and so that particular car, it's making 800 horsepower, like 11,000 RPM. Yeah, um billet block, billet heads, yeah. no head gaskets. It's uh, all machined to fit perfectly. It's um I mean, listen, the Achilles heel of a lot of Subarus is the head gasket. So if you eliminate it, then yeah. let's, let's just, yeah. it ain't there. You can't blow it up. <laughs> yeah, the engine's pushed back like a few inches. So it's more midship. Then the transmission's pushed further back. That's a motorsports unit. Yeah. Um, it's got a carbon roof. It's a stock chassis. And with all carbon body, carbon body parts on it. Yeah, and the doors are stock steel. Are they really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, they wanted to because Vermont Sports Car is building it at four, basically for Subaru as you know marketing stuff. They wanted to make it as much Subaru as possible, quote unquote stock car. Yeah, that's good. Um, you know, they took everything they knew from Rally, everything they knew from Rallycross, and then they said, "All right, if there's no rule book, this is how we would build the car." Yeah. Um. So. That being said, uh, one of our other former guests, Alex Grabau, uh, his theory is that that car will be brought to Climb the Clouds. Okay. Uh, to set the ultimate record. I don't, because it's, I don't doubt it. The The only way you could go faster on that hill is with more power and more arrow. Yep. And that car has it. Yeah, I don't, so, I don't doubt it. We'll probably see it there. And that's probably part of the reason that Pastrana is the driver. It's being built for him to do something like that with. Whereas yeah. he's the current record it, holder. Because it apparently it's set up for, you know, it can be set up for grip. So yeah, um, not just hooning around in a in a video. So that's pretty crazy. And then they're running Yokohamas now too, which is interesting. That's neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a pretty car by any means, but it's a neat car. Um, I mean, it's pretty as race cars go. I think it's purposeful. It has that purposeful yeah. look to it. Form follows function. Yeah. And that's what makes it good looking, I think. Yeah, there there are a couple moments in that video though where it's like 
you know, the, the edge of responsibility oh, because, doc. well, the doc oh. is, the doc is one thing, but that's, you know, we're kind of used to that. You know, I, I don't know if that was on purpose or not on purpose. It probably wasn't supposed to be that far over the edge. Um, but he still had three wheels gripping tarmac, so that's fine. Yeah. Um, but there's one part, there's a scene after he comes around the corner and drifts towards the limo full of people, mm-hmm. which is high risk in itself. He goes into this downtown area um, and they do a couple laps around a rotary. And he's I like, I think those were all Metro Circus people. So they were. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure they weren't just random passerbys. Yeah. Because they were in that limo that jumps at actually. Actually, did you watch the after credit stuff? Yeah. That limo actually jumps at the Pastrana land. Um, mm-hmm. But the downtown scene, it shows this little like crayfish uh, crab, I should say. Because yeah. I'm my own crab. And, the, and he does this e-brake 180 through the intersection and the car is backing up towards a building yeah while the tires are all crawling or like gripping for traction to move the car forward again and he was probably doing 60 or 70 miles an hour when he you know he initiated that drift and i'm just sitting there going like that's like historic downtown annapolis yeah you can't hit that building (laughs) he didn't have much room to make that maneuver in that small lid. It'd be like being in downtown Salem on the cobblestone. Yeah. And throwing the car sideways at 70 miles an hour with the e-brake and having the city go, yeah, we'll allow it. Oh, well, I think he's, he's a big deal down there. So that's probably I'm, how they got, I'm sure he is, but it just, the, the amount of, of issues it would cause if he screwed that up. And I mean, he didn't, it, it didn't go off perfect. Like the car started going backwards towards the entrance of that building. That could have been, could have been ugly. <laughs> so I don't know. It was, it was, it was neat to watch. It, it went back to the old, the old style. And oh, I, and yeah, I, like, oh my sure. God. The, the airplane. Yeah. That's just, that's so cool. Yeah. Those Red Bull stunt pilots, the Red Bull air, air races. Oh, I love those the pilots way, are amazing. Inline piston aircraft oh my god they sound yeah, so good it was cool and actually the sound of this Subaru rally car was amazing too yeah it sounded like no Subaru you've ever heard before it was just it's all equal length headers oh and... it was so good it just had a full-on like just raspy f1 car sound to it yeah no very very cool i, I enjoyed it worth whatever it cost them to make it i guess 11 out of 10 would watch again. Yeah. Probably will watch again. Yeah. It was definitely worth the price we paid to watch it. Mm-hmm. Which is our internet for the month. That's <laughs> about all it costs. Yeah. It's, ni- it's nice that those exist and they don't, you know, I mean, they, they, they could charge people to watch those and people would. You know, it's it's that it's that quality. It's, it's I mean, I'd seen some snapshots of like still images of what was going on before it got released. You know, there were pictures of the car jumping over the boat and there were pictures of the airplane and it just doesn't, I don't know. You, you say, wow, it's going to be cool, but you don't realize well, how ridiculous it's going to be. You know what it is? There's so few movies now that use actual practical effects for car chases that when you see a car doing crazy things on camera, you're like, whoa, yeah, like it's jaw dropping. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty good. Anyway, another another recommended. Yep. I enjoyed it. All right. Any yeah. other videos you've watched that are worth chatting about? 
No, not really. Just going to wrap it up. So, as always, you can follow us on Facebook, Auto Off Topic Podcast. Auto Off Topic on Instagram. Auto Off Topic on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram, Race the Anger. Oh, my turn. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at TSISS350. Cool. As always, keep your cars analog and aim for the roses.